You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. The question that we have for Kevin McCarthy, who's soon to be Speaker McCarthy, what is what is his plan? I want to be clear. This is an investigation of Joe Biden, and that's where the committee will focus in this next conference. I don't always agree with the Biden administration. I've been very vocal about that. But this is a step in the right direction. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective. From D.C.'s top name. I would not say we're out of the woods yet, but uh, I am cautiously optimistic about this week being off to a good start. This has to be boring, boring, boring for these kids to stand up here. You're allowed to do anything you want, including go steal a pumpkin if you want. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Republicans will take control of the House. We know that. But Kevin McCarthy has yet to seal the speakership. Welcome to the fastest hour in politics as the new majority in the House selects leaders and crafts an agenda, along with a lot of investigations. We're joined by a member of the caucus tonight, Congresswoman Nancy Mace, Republican from South Carolina, just reelected with a lot to say. Later, new calls on Congress to stop a possible rail strike from happening just in time for Christmas. We'll have the latest with Art Wheaton of Cornell University School of Industrial and Labor Relations figure out the sticking points here. Analysis from our panel, Jeannie Shanzano, Bloomberg Politics contributor and Democratic analyst, along with Republican strategist Lester Munson from BGR Group. Uh, there was a breaker late today, news from the Supreme Court that we should hit right off the top, clearing the way for a House committee. This is the Ways and Means Committee to get six years of Donald Trump's tax returns. Pretty interesting here, without explanation or any public dissents. The court rejecting the former president's bid to block the IRS from turning over the documents. This goes back a couple of years now. House Ways and Means, of course, pressed with why do you need these tax returns? They say it's uh, in the name of legislation, which it needs to be in this case for a congressional committee. They'll help them craft legislation on presidential documents and accountability or something along those lines. A lawyer representing the former president of the Supreme Court uh, did not immediately respond to emails requesting comment, but the timing here is important, of course, as the Republican majority uh, prepares to take hold. The Trump legal team was asking that these remain sealed until the next Congress begins, and of course, it wouldn't go very far at that point with a Republican-led House Ways and Means Committee. We'll be talking about this with our panel. Jeannie Shanzano is with us today, along with Lester Munson of BGR Group, formerly a staff director of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, as we get into some geopolitics here as well. And we're going to connect shortly 
with Congresswoman Nancy Mace, Republican from South Carolina, who joins us here on the, the verge, the threshold of this new majority taking hold. That is a majority, of course, uh, that is promising some pretty heavy-duty investigations into the Biden administration. And we heard about this from Representative James Comer, uh, the Republican from Kentucky, the incoming House Oversight Committee chair. He shared a stage uh, with Representative Mace, who's going to be, again, joining us in just a moment. Listen to the way he framed the plans for this committee starting in January. The Biden family's business dealings implicate a wide range of criminality from human trafficking to potential violations of the Constitution. In the 118th Congress, this committee will evaluate the status of Joe Biden's relationship with his family's foreign partners and whether he is a president who is compromised or swayed by foreign dollars and influence. I want to be clear. This is an investigation of Joe Biden, and that's where the committee will focus in this next Congress. It's pretty tough stuff. And of course, Kevin McCarthy has his own plans as well, and he's gone down to the border which we're hearing about today uh, from both sides of the aisle, back to the southern border, and the White House had plenty to say about that during the briefing today. We compare notes with Lester Munson, again, principal at government relations firm BGR Group, who is with us on Bloomberg Sound. On Lester, thanks for being here. As as this new majority in the House comes together, uh, how much of a third rail will these investigations be? You know, I was uh, I was a House staffer when the Republicans took over in '95 and launched about a dozen investigations into the Clinton administration. Some of them certainly were merited. Some of them maybe a little less so. The net effect of them was pretty marginal in terms of uh, learning much about the Clinton administration and having any kind of salutary impact on public policy. So I would yeah. I think the Republicans here should should move with caution and a little bit of humility. I'm not saying there isn't something to look at. They should be looking at things that concern them. But I wouldn't put a lot of uh, I wouldn't put a lot of my chips in this basket. And, you know, interestingly, the line you hear as well, we can walk and chew gum at the same time. Oversight is part of the, the responsibility and duty here of the congressional branch, especially the House. We we plan to do our duty. Yeah, but you get into a fever uh, pretty quickly, as, as folks may have noticed in politics in our country in the last few years, and you tend to only be able to focus on a certain number of things. I think far better for congressional Republicans to offer alter- an alternative vision on policy and approach than the Biden administration. The Biden administration's had trouble on a number of key issues, crime, the border, mm-hmm. the economy, goodness gracious. Uh, I would I would be much uh, more optimistic about about a, an agenda that included positive suggestions on how to solve these really deep problems we have in our society instead of focusing on this uh, kind of gotcha hearings and that kind yeah, of thing. Right. Lester Munson is half of our panel today, along with Jeannie Shanzano, of course, Bloomberg politics contributor and Democratic analyst. Uh, we can't uh, they don't they can't find Nancy Mace. Huh? That's funny. They don't know where they don't know where she is. I guess the majority has not taken effect yet. Jeannie, your thought on the investigations. You know, we start talking about Hunter Biden's laptop now. Where does that leave a very slim majority uh, when it comes time for re-election? Because I'm, I'm assuming these are going to be lengthy, uh, you know, Benghazi uh, style hearings. 
Well, we may not have Jeannie either. You know, I tell you, Lester, it's just you and me, pal. We should get a beer here and get this done right. Uh, I'm for it. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, you consider uh, you consider the status of things, and Democrats don't have a lot of time uh, to get anything done in the lame duck. What's important at this point? Is it same-sex marriage, or has that been punted uh, in, into the new year? Uh, same-sex marriage, you know, is uh, a fraud issue um they it's going to help their base i'm not sure it's going to set them up for success down the road and taking back the house and and defending the white house in 24 i think better for the democrats to focus on the economy this is this is their big weak spot on addressing and and then on buttressing the biden administration's great success in Ukraine and making sure the president has the resources he needs to continue that policy and to and to be able to help the Ukrainians prevail over the Russians. So those are the two things I'd be focusing on if I were the outgoing Democratic majority. Interesting. The, and, and how difficult does the debate get to be around Ukrainian funding, say, come January, when you have members of the Republican caucus? And I realize it's at this point a fairly small number. Uh, but the Marjorie Taylor Greens and Matt Gates are saying not one more dollar. This is a refrain. And of course, you know, Kevin McCarthy said no more blank checks. I, is that just tough talk right now to try to sound like you're fiscally responsible or does that actually change policy? Well, I suspect some members are going to vote that way. They're not going to vote for any more money. I think they're a small minority. I don't think they're going to win. But there is a there is kind of an existential question here for the new House Republican leadership, which is. Are you going to be willing to work with Democrats, get Democratic votes to approve something that you're in favor of? I think Kevin McCarthy, at the end of the day, wants to provide assistance to the Ukrainians in a way that will help them win. Is he going to be is he going to is he going to be able to work with Democrats to get those votes to get that achieved without undermining his leadership role in the Republican conference? That's a big question. Sure it is. He has to look like he got something, too, though, right? Are there strings attached to that money, something that maybe we haven't heard about yet? Well, I think there'll be a lot of talk about oversight and making sure the money is well spent. And that's good. That's fine. That should be done. We actually have a lot of mechanisms in place that make sure those things happen. I think I think taxpayers should be re- reassured that money that goes to the State Department and our other aid agencies is actually pretty well spent and achieves the goals that we want it to achieve. Mm-hmm. Uh, but talking about that is a good thing and reassuring the American people that we're not going to, we're not just doing this on a lark and we're, we're making sure the money is doing the right thing. That's, that's important for politicians to be engaged in. And I think it's, and I think it's a fair thing to talk about. Is it silly to try to force a conversation about the debt ceiling or is that, that's just Kevin McCarthy most likely is problem to own next year. Well, I think it's also President Biden's problem to own. Right. Uh, this is this is going to force a negotiation between the two parties to get to a compromise on some key issues. I don't know. We don't think anyone knows what they are yet. Maybe it's the budget. Maybe it's something mm-hmm. else. That's not so bad. Uh, I know our friends on Wall Street and at Harvard <laughs> Faculty Club tend to get upset about this, but <laughs> yeah. if it's if it's something that drives the two parties together to kind of force them to come to a compromise. Maybe that's not so bad. Which begs the big question here. Does the, does it does a divided Congress force cooperation or encourage division? Well, we're we're going to find out, aren't we? I think I think what we're going to we're going to see both. We're going to see the parties fighting over 
you know, the Hunter Biden laptop and other yep. topics that maybe aren't so important to normal Americans. But then they're also going to be agreeing on on things that are kind of below the radar and don't get attention from from Bloomberg and other sources necessarily because it's not that controversial, hmm. whether it's uh, entitlement spending or basic basic programs that everyone kind of believes in. There's, you know, like 95% of the stuff we all kind of agree on. Yeah. It's that 5% we're fighting on that, that gets the news. Yeah, we hate to be part. We try to be as wonky as we can here. I think you know that, Lester, and we be a part of the problem. I do. I do. Uh, <laughs> that's why you're here, of course. <laughs> hey, Lester and I got our own show. This is great. Stay with us on Sound On. Coming up, we'll fold in Jeannie Shanzano. I promise this time, Lester Munson stays around, and we explore the breaker today from the Supreme Court clearing the way for six years of Donald Trump's tax returns to go to Richie Neal's House Ways and Means Committee. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Join Bloomberg in San Francisco or virtually on May 7th for The Future Investor, Data-Powered Transformations. This 2024 event series will examine how data is not only playing a pivotal role in investment decisions, but serves as a driving force behind the construction of innovative, investable enterprises. This series is proudly sponsored by Invesco QQQ. Register at BloombergLive.com slash futureinvestor slash radio. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. It's hard not to just picture Congressman Richard Neal, the chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee, holding six years of Donald Trump's tax returns in his hands with a laughter that could be heard on the other end of Pennsylvania Avenue. But is that real? Is that actually possible? After the Supreme Court today cleared the way for the committee to get six years of Donald Trump's tax returns. Kevin Brady gets the same stuff, right? Without explanation, without dissent. And this is something that, of course, comes, as we were just discussing with Lester, what a month and change ahead of the new Republican majority taking hold. The Trump uh, lawyer uh, legal team was asking for January just to keep this uh, as quiet as possible. We have the full panel here, I'm told. Jeannie Shanzano is with us, Bloomberg Politics contributor, Democratic analyst, and Lester Munson here as well from BGR Group, Republican strategist. Uh, Jeannie, uh, were you as surprised as anybody to hear this? And how come you don't believe this goes anywhere? Well, you know, I, I was struck by uh, by the, the counting of the days, 1,329 days since the committee sought these tax returns and to finally get them. And, and somebody said it was almost as long as the Civil War. Um, so if it seems long time, yeah, it, well. it really is. Um, and of course, this could be overturned, but it's unlikely. And I think it's, it's you know, noteworthy that we, this decision was made with no dissent. Mm-hmm. That said, of course, the we are on a calendar. Um, we have a calendar issue. We're in a lame duck. And so they have a limited time. And of course, Republicans get these as well. So I'm not sure how far this will go, except it is a victory for of three years for this committee that's long been seeking these. And they'll at least get a glimpse. And there is many people, myself included, who believe the public has a right to have to have this information. And it is finally in the hands of the people's representatives in Congress. So that's a good thing. I, by the way, I didn't talk to Jeannie before this, and I don't know, I did not know that Jeannie believed this was going nowhere. Is this going nowhere? 
Um, no, you know, I, I wouldn't say I, I wouldn't say we know yet if it's going nowhere, but I, I, I would say it is a significant win. And and by the yeah. way, when when you and Lester were chatting, I was shouting into the radio, <laughs> enjoying <laughs> your conversation, well, saying brilliant you. things, but you couldn't hear me. So I, that yeah, that happens a lot. <laughs> yeah, um, when I'm off Lester, there. how come we've seen this headline or, or not with the Supreme Court, of course, but you hear about Donald Trump's tax returns and you say, OK, wake me up when something happens. Yeah, it's the holy grail for Democrats. My goodness, uh, they're finally going to reach the promised land. Uh, I, I confess some cynicism here. I think this is a, a purely political move to get the president's tax returns. Not that they won't be interesting and not that they won't say something about his ways of doing business. You don't think they need to craft that. new sure legislation about presidential document accountability? <laughs> that, that well, I'm, I'm guessing... Right? Yeah, I'm guessing we're not going to see a big bill come out of this that yeah. uh, changes our laws. Uh, so I, I think it's I, I, and with our upside down politics, this may actually work to the Democrats disadvantage. I don't know. Donald Trump likes attention. This is going to be more attention. It's going to be another way for him to talk. Republicans are learning that him being out front is not great for the party. Democrats want to keep pushing him out there because he's good for them. Uh, so this whole thing is upside well, down. There could be some and, wild um, stuff in his tax returns, though, right? I mean, if they got these documents and leaked them, uh, my goodness, that would be the best read in town. But but what's the expectation game? Everyone knows he's basically a, a con artist. <laughs> and so when we when we see the tax returns and he's revealed to be a con artist, everyone's like, say, well, yeah, uh, that's kind of what I thought anyway. Geez. Yeah, so... Although it would be Not something sure to be running news. for president, uh, Jeannie, and, and to be... Uh, to be proven to have never paid or, or to no longer pay taxes, which is what the allegation was. That's right. And, and you know, and, and he not only is a former president, but he's a current contender for the Republican nomination for president. Yeah. And so that does matter. And, you know, I, I do agree with what, you know, you are saying and, and where Lester was saying that, you know, it's unlikely we see big legislation out of this. But one thing I think, at least I wish we would have a conversation about in this country would be, is it time to require major party presidential candidates to release tax documents? And also, by the way, health records. There are privacy issues for sure, but these people represent us and we may have a right to this information. I would at least like to hear a, a robust conversation about that in Congress, but I don't expect we're going to get that either. Well, how come? Wouldn't that be good politics, whether it's in the lame duck or in the new Congress, Lester? Uh, you know, in a way, I think that I agree with Jeannie. I think that'd be a great idea. Congress ought to be putting pre uh, pressure on the president, generally speaking. Mm -hmm. Let's try to hem them in. Let's give the, you know, the people's, uh, you know, the people's part of our government, the people's branch, a little more authority, a little more ability to uh, outmaneuver the president. I'm kind of in favor of that as an old hack from Capitol Hill. Huh. So yeah, let's let's lay on some requirements for the chief executive. Why not? Donald Trump's lawyers argue the House panel lacked a legitimate legislative purpose, Jeannie. That's actually what needs to be shown here, uh, right? If you're the Ways and Means Committee and you go to court, that's the only grounds uh, you have. The only ground you have to stand on. Uh, I can't imagine this news conference if this if these documents are delivered. What does Chairman Richard Neal tell America? 
you know, I, I think he's going to tell America the reason why it was so important and why they fought for, you know, three long years, 1300 plus days, as long as the Civil War to get these. And and it, I hope he says it has less to do with Donald Trump specifically than yeah. it does to do with the work of this body, which mm-hmm. is oversight and legislation in the interest of the American public. And of course, the lame duck won't be able to do that. We'll see if it's picked up in the Republican Congress. But I hope that's what he says and makes it not personal to Trump, but in yeah. our interest as the people's body. Of course, if there's nothing in there and he opens it up, he looks like Geraldo Rivera at Al Capone's grave. Our panel stays with us for the hour. Jeannie Shanzano and Lester Munson with us. I'm Joe Matthew from Washington. This is Sound On. This is Bloomberg. I'll tell you what, if there is a rail strike, the blame game in Washington will be fierce. I say that as several powerful industry groups, and you can read about this on the terminal, of course, are urging Congress to step in and prevent this strike. This is the same one we were talking about, August, September. Now, just in time, it's like, you know, the sequel to The Grinch kind of a thing, although these workers have very legitimate concerns. We are still talking about it. And not only are they asking Congress to get involved, there's a lot of pressure on the White House to do more here And in today's uh, briefing, a lot of questions about, well, how involved are you? Where's Marty Walsh? How about the president? Here's Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre. This is the third time I'm saying he's been directly involved. You're talking about one union president. There are 12. So you're talking talking about one. I said I'm not going to provide any details at this time. The administration broadly has been also in touch with with parties. Yes, the president has been clearly. uh, He's been uh, held, uh, um, he's been briefed, but he has actually been directly involved. Not going to get into more details on that, but you're talking about one uh, president out of 12. One president of one union is what she's saying there. Twelve unions. Just so this isn't complicated at all. Now, if Congress does get involved, they can't do anything about this, of course, until they get back from their Thanksgiving break. So let's not hold our breath right now, but understand a little more about it. Uh, As we're joined by Art Wheaton, director of labor studies at Cornell University School of Industrial and Labor Relations. Uh, Art, here we go again, but I guess it never really stopped this way. Can you explain uh, exactly how we got here again. A lot of people thought this was resolved with a so-called tentative deal that had been announced a few months ago. Well, they've been negotiating for more than two years to try to get an agreement. Mm-hmm. And the tentative agreement, which was reached with the help of President Biden, Marty Walsh, Secretary of Labor, Secretary of Transportation, Secretary of Agriculture, all involved in trying to resolve this dispute, And they came up with an agreement, a tentative agreement that needs to be ratified by the members. The agreement they came up with solved almost all of the financial problems or financial issues. This imminent strike or potential strike is all about a changing in the attendance policy that was unilaterally implemented by the railway companies. So that's the big issue that wasn't that wasn't settled in before. So they added one more flexible day, and that wasn't seen as enough. Got it. Right. And this was because people were getting fired for going to the doctor. Correct. And they had people literally dying while they were driving or, you know, operating the train because they couldn't get a day off to go to the doctor and died of a heart attack. You've had lots of people miss their family's funerals because they couldn't get the time off. 
What do you make of the reaction from the White House here? Uh, they've they've made clear the press secretary today that Marty Walsh has been involved, that Joe Biden has, but would not answer questions about at what time or how frequently uh, this one president. Again, you heard her reacting to is complaining that, that the administration needs to get more engaged now. Well, the way it works for labor law in the United States is there's nothing that says the company ever has to say yes. So that can be pretty frustrating. So they exerted a lot of different pressure for all the names and the people that we talked about. But there's nothing here that the president and his secretaries can force on the railway companies to change their attendance policy. There is, however, something that Congress can do. So President Biden gave a 30-day pause. They had them go back and renegotiate. They offered up a tentative agreement, but there's really not a whole lot President Biden can do individually except lobby or try to persuade the rail companies to change their what is seen as a draconian attendance policy. Congress can and will step in if they go out on strike. Yes. And we've seen this happen before, but it would not be preemptive is your point. Correct. So under the Railway Labor Act, so probably 90 percent of the people that are in unions in the United States are either under the National Labor Relations Act or under a private sector or a public sector act. The um, planes, trains and automobiles that are under the Railway Labor Act. And that's yeah. where this one falls onto. And that's why some of the remedies are quite different and strange as compared to other labor law. Well, it brings us back to September and the questions we were asking Democrats here. How do you how do you blunt an effort like this to avoid the economic impact of a strike, but also be the labor party? Well, they've done what they can. They brought them to the table. So you would think the railway companies would feel at least some amount of pressure Uh, by having to speak in the White House with all of the different secretaries. But there's still nothing in the U.S. labor law that can force management to say yes. And I think they're trying to exert pressure. But there's nothing like a tragedy and a catastrophe to help change the thinking. If they do happen to go out on strike, that will start to change some of the calculations. And all of this will wait until the voting is done in Georgia. Oh, man. It sounds like you can see this happening this time around. Yes, but also you got to remember that one of the few powers that a union has is not just necessarily to strike. It's the threat of a strike that can be very persuasive. And sometimes negotiations go to the very last minute. It is not unusual for the contracts to get settled at 11.59 p.m., for a contract that expires at 12 midnight. So those types of things happen in bargaining and you have to be prepared for it. But you have to remember that at the bargaining table, it's the union members that have to vote on it and agree to it. If they settle this two months early, Mm -hmm. then the membership would say, I'm not agreeing to this. You should have fought harder. Why didn't Mm -hmm. you get what we wanted? So sometimes you have to go and teeter on the brink of disaster um, to number one, get, leverage on the company and number two to get your membership to agree that you gave it all you got to get what they needed he knows he was a labor negotiator art wheaton thank you for bringing us to school on this from cornell school of industrial and labor relations all this on the brink of the holidays we'll reassemble our panel next for the politics i'm joe matthew this is bloomberg 
Join Bloomberg in San Francisco or virtually on May 7th for the Future Investor, Data-Powered Transformations. This 2024 event series will examine how data is not only playing a pivotal role in investment decisions, but serves as a driving force behind the construction of innovative, investable enterprises. This series is proudly sponsored by Invesco QQQ. Register at BloombergLive.com slash FutureInvestor slash radio. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. If you feel like we had this conversation before, that is because we did. It was in September. The White House was on the ropes with this uh, potential rail strike. Same for Congress hearing calls to step in and do something. Markets were moving. Actually, some shippers started changing plans. Remember, they weren't even taking certain orders. They were looking for alternatives and Start flying airplanes around, driving trucks around. I learned today, actually, on balance of power, 300 trucks for one train to give you a sense of how much stuff would be affected by this. And this is why everyone is concerned in Washington. It would be a massive economic disruption on Christmas. And so we reassemble the panel for their take on this latest round. Jeannie Shanzano and Lester Munson are with us. Jeannie, of course, Bloomberg Politics contributor and Democratic analyst, Lester Munson, Republican strategist with government relations firm BGR Group. Uh, Jeannie, this is not what this White House needs now. I mean, the impact on supply chain and inflation uh, would be a non-starter politically. It would. And it puts them in a real difficult situation because, of course, the reality is that would put them in a terrible situation as we face the holidays economically. But on the flip side, as you look, and I will quote Nancy Pelosi here, railroad companies are making obscene profits on the backs of these workers and you should not get fired for staying home when you're sick. So is the administration going to push through this agreement that was made, try to get Congress to push that through? Um, Are they going to try to push the corporations to really man up, woman up in a way and give workers what they need because this is absolutely an insane and a cruel system that these people, these workers are being subjected to and it's got to be addressed and now is the time for them to do it but the White House has of course facing this inflation crisis and it's going to be really difficult to do. Well you certainly think that Marty Walsh, the Labor Secretary, knows all of this, Jeannie. Uh, He's a union guy. Aren't you surprised he hasn't been able to crack this? I mean, we thought we had a deal. Yeah, I I mean, and and the reality is, is that the Joe Biden went out and celebrated that deal when, in fact, it still had to be approved by the workers, these 12 unions. And one by one, I mean, it's sort of been in the back pages of the news. Many of these unions that have voted have said this doesn't go far enough. And as you were just talking about with your guest, one more flexible day is not enough. And I urge people to read the reality of the situation. I mean, he talked about people dying, missing funerals. They cannot take a day off from work, even when they're sick. And that is no way to treat workers in this country, particularly when they are making record profits, and they have been. Lester, the president claims to be, or certainly strives to be, as he says openly in his speeches, the most labor-friendly, the most union-friendly administration in history. How come this White House can't make a difference here? Well, maybe Democrats have lost their feel for private sector unions. They're pretty enthralled with public sector unions these days. Uh, Maybe they've tilted a little bit too far in that direction. 
Uh, and as, as Jeannie points out, the president was taking credit for this deal before the election. He's already kind of done his victory dance. It looks bad now that his deal uh, for these folks was was not what they thought was good enough. So the White House is going to reap a little bit of what it has sowed here. In what way, especially if Congress steps in and stops it? Does, doesn't that save the White House? Uh, it does and it doesn't. Uh, there, there's a real battle here in this country over uh, private sector union workers politically. Republicans are making a better uh, a better case to this demographic than they have in decades. And I'm not saying I'm necessarily in favor of that, by the way. But this is where the Republican Party is going. If the White House, uh, you know, if this plays out in such a way that the White House has demonstrates a real failure of leadership, that's going to benefit Republicans uh, going forward in in a lot of these swing voters. A lot of these folks who are who are going to be affected by this directly, and I'm talking about workers in the railroad industry, are exactly the kind of voters both parties are looking for. It's going to make it a little bit easier for Republicans to go after them. We'll keep you posted on this. Obviously, this could break uh, before December gets here. That That's when the deadline is. And we'll keep tabs on this. But I'll tell you, Jeannie, this is not a conversation that Joe Biden wants to hear people having about his administration. It just runs against everything that he says. Everything he says, everything he believes in. I mean, we're talking about Amtrak, Joe, and I understand we're not directly talking about Amtrak here as we talk right. about this railroad strike, but this is who Joe Biden was. And, and you know, just to follow up on Lester's point, the tension has been in the Democratic Party between, you know, understanding and doing the work of the white, uh, you know, Midwestern voters who they seem to have lost in 2016 to Donald Trump. Joe Biden got some of them back in 2020. But, you know, this kind of thing threatens to suggest that they may not understand what people's lives are like. And in this case, it's these railroad workers and to do the work to ensure that they get what they deserve. And they're not asking for much. Meanwhile, on the southern border today, uh, the man who would be speaker, Kevin McCarthy shows up in El Paso, and it was known he was going to make the trip. It wasn't known exactly what he would say. Here it is. Our country may never recover from Secretary Mayorkas' dereliction of duty. This is why today I am calling on the Secretary to resign. He cannot and must not remain in that position. If Secretary Mayorkas does not resign, House Republicans will investigate every order, every action, and every failure will determine whether we can begin impeachment inquiry. There you go. Which brings us back to where we started uh, this hour with investigations and, yes, apparent uh, impeachment plans, certainly for the Secretary of Homeland Security. It's been suggested for the President of the United States, along with the Attorney General. Ahead of his arrival, or at least ahead of the news briefing, Karine Jean-Pierre, the White House Press Secretary, was asked about his trip to the border. They were ready for it. Here she is. The question that we have for Kevin McCarthy, uh, who's, soon to be, who's soon to be Speaker McCarthy, um, you know, what is, what is his plan? What is he doing uh, to help the situation that we're seeing? What, what is his plan? He goes down there and he does a political stunt, like many Republicans do, that we have seen them do, but he actually is not putting forth a plan, a plan to help us 
you know, deal with an issue uh, that we're all seeing that you all are reporting. And I mean, one of the things he can do is he can go to Texas Senator Ted Cruz or any members of the Republican caucus from Texas who voted against the president's request for record funding to support the hardworking men and women at the Department of Homeland Security. It's a pretty good answer, Lester, uh, when you consider the voting record here. But is this a stunt for Kevin McCarthy or is he doing exactly what voters want him to do? Well, it's definitely a stunt, <laughs> uh, but we, we have a politics of stunts now, and that doesn't necessarily make it illegitimate at all. Uh, you know, the January 6th commission hearings, to some extent, can be characterized as a stunt. They had some impact. Uh, so just because it's a stunt doesn't mean it's bad. Uh, can he, can Kevin McCarthy's message prevail? I think the, the White House has some definite weaknesses here. Their record on security at the border is not very good. Uh, and there, there's a lot of questions about the policies and what they're carrying out. So a little bit of uh, daylight and sunlight from the legislative branch, I think, might be a good thing here. But at the, at the same time, Republicans are going to be in the majority. They do need to suggest alternative policies that could work. I think they will do that. But like the White House is not wrong to say, what's your plan? Fair enough. And I tend to think that the January 6th committee uh, made a greater contribution to history than this trip to the border. But I, I get your point here, uh, Jeannie. What's the Biden administration do on immigration reform, border security for the next two years when no one has an appetite for comprehensive legislation? You know, they should listen, you know, to people like Governor-elect Katie Hobbs in Arizona, who is out talking about the fact, um, you know, very calmly, um, not quite as draconian as, as Kevin McCarthy, about the fact that Democrats really have to go visit the border and see what is going on so there. So it is Be about a stunt. Because there is a crisis. Well, you, no, I mean, she's right. There, She's right. There is a crisis at the border. That is absolutely true. Joe Biden has said it himself. Right. So they need to listen to Democrats like her who are saying, you know, this is a challenge for us here and it needs to be addressed. Now, to your point, there is no appetite in Congress and hasn't been for decades to address this crisis. And Biden is right. He put forward the Citizenship Act in January 2021. It never passed. And they're right to ask Republicans what they're going to do. Um, but beyond that, they really do have to at least do a better job of showing that they are caring about this issue and taking steps to address it, because it is something that, you know, really most Americans give the, the administration low marks on. They inherited this crisis, but they are in the, in control and they do need to at least take steps to address it. You sure. can't have Democrats like Katie Hobbs criticizing them and others at the Texas border and elsewhere Democrats yeah. who say they're not doing enough. I know that, uh, Lester, this wouldn't get through the Senate, but but will Republicans in the House impeach Alejandro Mayorkas? Uh, that, that's a great question. You know, uh, if the speaker says they're going to pursue that, there's a, it seems to me like there's a decent chance they'll they'll try to do that. The Senate, yeah, as you point out, the Senate won't convict. I do want to disagree with Jeannie on one thing. I'm not sure yeah. the administration, the Biden administration, inherited this. Uh, the Trump administration did have, although it didn't build the wall that it said it was going to, their policies on the border uh, did lead to fewer crossings than the current administration. So this is this is a new development. Yeah, there are a lot of ways to talk this out, too. Also broke up a bunch of families. But, boy, this is always easy to talk about. Lester Munson, thank you. Jeannie Shanzano, our panel. This is Bloomberg. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. 
But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.